You're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. The benefits of wisdom are countless. Just a brief survey of them can be found in the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs. Insight, discretion, prudence, knowledge, peace, and prosperity, to name just a few. But the one thing that the author of Proverbs notes is that all of this begins with the fear of the Lord. It seems like a strange thing to say. Why fear? Why not love? So let's get ready to dive deep as we continue our journey through the book of Proverbs in our series titled, Wisdom for Life. So when I was living in St. Louis, there was one year where something happened that turned the entire city upside down. And it wasn't the year when the Cubs actually beat the Cardinals in the playoffs, as cool as that was. No, it was the year when Ikea arrived. You see, St. Louis didn't have an Ikea superstore, but I remember when one was finally built, the entire city was abuzz. I remember driving past it and seeing cars queuing up down city streets and around city blocks just to get in. And in fact, some of my fellow peers at the seminary didn't want to admit it out loud, but they were pretty stoked to get into that blue and yellow box. Ikea is kind of one of these phenomenons, right? I mean, it's this place where you can get stuff that looks like designer furniture to decorate your home, but it's also fairly easy to put it together. But around that time, there was another trend that emerged on social media, and it was called IKEA fails. It was where people would post pictures or videos of them trying to assemble this furniture only to have absolutely hysterical results. Like, take this Instagram post for just a minute. You've got this bookcase with all these books all over the floor, and I actually love what it says in the description of the post. It says, have you ever wondered what happens when IKEA construction goes wrong? Oops, guess those leftover bookcase components were really important. Yeah, this person put together the bookcase, but they left out a whole bunch of pieces, and well, there's the results on the floor. Or how about uh, these two examples? I'm pretty sure that that's not what drawers are supposed to look like when they go into a dresser. And I love that end table. It looks like this person just gave up. But here are two of my favorites. I'm pretty sure that that's not what chairs are supposed to look like. And unless that drawer is a self-emptying drawer, I think they've got it assembled upside down. It's hysterical to look at these photos, and you can even go on Google right now, type in IKEA fails, and there's just a whole host of other videos and pictures out there that really are quite hysterical. But what I find funny about all of these is that I look at them and I'm like, how did that even happen? I mean, one of the things that's great about IKEA is that the instruction manuals are so easy to follow. I love the instruction manual. I've put together a fair share of IKEA furniture in my day. Never once have I had a fail like that because I've just got these handy instructions that I can follow along with. And my guess is that some of these people looked at the project, saw the picture on the box, and they're like, no problem, I've got this. And they totally ignored the instructions. See, I'm the kind of guy who, who loves instructions. Even when I was a kid and I got a set for, of Legos, I wasn't trying to build my own Lego set. I wanted to follow the instructions so that I would get that picture that was on the box. And typically when things go poorly for me, it's when people tell me to do something and there aren't instructions included. Like the worst thing that my wife Jenny can do to me is to say, hey, I need you to make dinner tonight. And then when I say, well, what's the recipe? She just goes, I don't know, you know, just throw something together from like our, our, uh, our fridge or from the pantry. 
Now, unless there is a box of instant mac and cheese in the pantry, we are ordering out Chipotle because otherwise dinner is not going to make it to the table. I love instructions. Instructions help me to know what to do so that I can succeed, so that I can make sure that that project is done right. And the reason I bring this up is because the word instruction is an important one that comes up over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Last week, I mentioned how at the start of the book, we're introduced to four characters. And this week, I want to focus on the very first character mentioned, and that is this wise fatherly king. He is the one who opens the book, and here's what he says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now notice that three times in just those opening verses, he uses the word instruction. Now here's what's interesting about that word. It can also be translated as discipline. And it's important because we tend to think of discipline as punishment, but that's not what it meant in ancient Hebrew. Discipline was wisdom and instruction handed down relationally, in this case from a father to his son. It's not just about book knowledge. Uh, it really is about being taught the rules, uh, understanding where the boundaries are set, and being guided in the right direction to go by someone who loves you and who wants the best for you. And right at the heart of his opening instructions to his son, he says something that really is the foundation for everything else that he teaches him. And you got a clue as to what that was last week. Do you remember? It was in those little fortune cookies that you took home. There was a reference there, and it was Proverbs 1, verse 7. Here's what the father says. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In fact, 16 times in 31 chapters, this phrase, the fear of the Lord, shows up in the book of Proverbs. So prevalent is it in the wisdom literature that the Old Testament commentator Derek Kidner says that this could be known as the motto for all the wisdom literature to such an extent that one of the most famous Proverbs in the entire book is Proverbs 9.10, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, this seems really strange to us as modern people, and the reason why is because we tend to think of fear as a negative thing. And certainly there are unhealthy kinds of fear. Anxiety is a really good example. It's when fear becomes so generalized that we're afraid of anything and everything, that we find ourselves in situations where we're more worried about what might happen, that, that it paralyzes us from ever engaging in what is actually happening. There are these kinds of fear which to can be totally debilitating. But there are other kinds of fear that are healthy, that are actually good for us. I remember the first time I was being taught how to use power tools. 
And I was taught that I really had to respect these tools. There was a level of fear to it, especially as I worked with things like table saws and band saws. I knew that there was the potential for this to go horribly wrong if I didn't follow the instructions. I knew that it could lead to myself being injured or other people injured. It's not just about potentially ruining the project. It could have a detrimental effect on my life. And so there was a healthy level of fear and respect that went along with using that tool. Even today, when I have to use power tools, I'm very, very cautious. I make very, very sure that I'm paying close attention to what I'm doing so that I avoid injury and avoid hurting those around me. This is the healthy kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that helps us to slow down and really attend to what's going on, that protects us from dangerous situations and guides us into pathways that are good for us. And that's really what the Father is talking about here. He's saying, look, my son, there are certain things that you need to avoid because those are paths that will more quickly lead you into danger, that will more quickly have a negative effect on your life and the lives of those around you. Likewise, there are paths which on the whole are good for you, paths that you should pay attention to and follow. But the way that you're going to know one from the other is by looking to the Lord. Why? Well, the answer is found a little bit later on in the book of Proverbs. You know, last week we were introduced to this character, Lady Wisdom. Uh, she was kind of the personification of God's wisdom. And one of the things that's worth noting is she's not only mentioned in Proverbs 8 and 9, as we were looking at last week, she's also mentioned in Proverbs chapter 3. And this is what the writer has to say about wisdom. He says, Lady Wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. See, what the author of Proverbs is saying there is he's saying it's actually by God's wisdom that he crafted everything that you see and everything that you don't see. That the very universe and the fabric of creation was woven together by God's wisdom. Which means that if you are going to live life well, if you're going to live life in the way that God intended it, you need to understand that his wisdom is essentially the instruction manual for life. And the only way to truly understand the instructions is to understand the author. That's why the Father says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It helps us to recognize that God is, is bigger and more powerful than anything else in all of creation. And that if we're really going to live life well, we need to, have, we need to pay attention to what he says. We need to have a healthy respect for and reverence for and, yes, fear of God. Now, again, I think we wrestle with this because we really just don't understand it as modern people. But one of the things that's consistent throughout the Bible is how every time somebody comes face to face with God in all of his, in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, is that their first reaction is to be afraid. 
We see it in the Exodus story when Moses is first confronted with God in the burning bush. When he learns that it is the Lord speaking to him, he he falls down in fear. Likewise, the prophet Isaiah, when he was called to serve God, uh, received this vision in the temple of God in all of his majesty on the throne. And it says that he, he fell down as though dead because he was so terrified. The reason why is because God is huge, not just in terms of size. He's the most terrifying thing that there could possibly be. I mean, think about those moments when you see something that that really kind of cuts you to your core. I'll be honest, two of the things that I'm most afraid of in all of creation are sharks and lions. Uh, the, one, the, the two places I don't want to be is I don't want to be in an ocean swimming with sharks or find myself on the savanna staring face to face at a lion because they are terrifying in their power and in the, in the danger that they represent. But here's the thing, God himself made them. They are in the palm of his hands. The biggest, scariest things in in all of creation pale in comparison to him in his power and in his might. He's the only one really that we should be afraid of. But there's something fascinating that happens every time somebody meets with God in scripture. That in those moments when they suddenly see him on all of his power and they fall down in the midst of their fear, God speaks to them and says, don't be afraid. We sit there and we're just like, wait, what is, wait a second. You just said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what is God saying by don't be afraid? Well, well, I hear, well there's, there's something worth noting in the Bible. There's this beautiful paradox that exists when it comes to God. The paradox is this, that there is a kind of fear which actually leads to freedom. And it's found right here in this understanding of the fear of the Lord. Essentially, what the biblical authors are saying is that you can fear God or you can fear everything else. That of all the things in all of creation, God is the only one whose power we should fear. And yet what he says is he's the only one that we don't have to be afraid of. Let me say that again. God is the only one that we should fear. And yet he's the only one that we don't have to be afraid of. Why? Well, it's because of how he feels about us. There's this beautiful story that's found in the New Testament that I think illustrates this so well. It's a story about a time when Jesus went sailing with his disciples. We find it in Mark chapter 4. We read that uh, as they were going from one place to another, they got in this fishing boat and they went out on the Sea of of Galilee. And while they were out there, uh, a storm suddenly came up and it was so dangerous and, and threatening and, and, and violent that the, these seasoned fishermen were afraid. They felt like the waves were going to drag them under, that the power of this storm was going to do them in. And in their moment of fear and panic, they, they run to Jesus, who surprisingly is asleep in the back of the boat. They come to him and they say, you know, don't you care that we are perishing? And then we read this. It says that he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, right here we find the paradox. They're afraid of creation. 
They're afraid of the storm. They're afraid of this thing, which is going to, which threatens to undo them. But the moment that Jesus stands up and says, quiet and be still, what we find is that their fears are silenced and now transferred to Jesus. That these disciples who'd been afraid of the wind and the waves are now afraid of Jesus. Why? Because with a word, he calmed the storm. And yet in that moment, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? You see, in that moment, they recognized, just got a glimpse of the fact that Jesus is the one who by his very words fashioned the heavens and the earth. They suddenly realized that they were in the presence of the Almighty One by whose wisdom everything exists. And yet there he is in the boat with them. That though they're afraid of him, he says, you don't have to be afraid because I'm right here with you. They realized right then and there what we've been talking about all along, that God is the only one that we should fear, and it is also the only one that we don't have to. This paradox was actually at the heart of Jesus' teaching. He says at another point in talking to his disciples the following words from Matthew 28. He says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, Jesus says there is really only one person you should fear, and that is God the one who's more terrifying than all the lions on the land and sharks in the sea, the one who's scarier and larger than even the greatest natural disasters or catastrophes, and yet he's the father who loves you. He's the one in, in whose mercy he, he calls you his child and promises to be with you in the boat. And lest we doubt it, we need only look at Jesus himself to see the truth of that. See, Jesus is the one who faces every fear for us. He is God who loves us so much that he came into our world, not just just get in the boat with us and journey with us through our fears, but who faced the ultimate fear, darkness and death itself, who went to a cross for us and then three days later rose again. And what he says is he says, you have nothing more to be afraid of for I, your God, am with you. That's what we talk about when we call Jesus Emmanuel. It's God with us. It's this beautiful promise that we have from him about his presence, which carries us even in the midst of our greatest fears. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what am I really afraid of? Too often we let our fears dictate our lives. We're afraid of what people will think of us if they really knew us. We're afraid of what will happen if we fail. We're afraid of difficulty and hardship. We're afraid of disease. And so oftentimes we live in these prisons constructed by our fears, backing away from relationships and opportunities, cowering when God calls us to step out courageously and boldly in faith, running away in those moments when we're called to show up and be present because of our fears. And this is where the fear of the Lord is so important because it reminds us that he's the only one that we should be afraid of. And yet, because he's with us, we don't have to be. And when we know that, when we know that he's with us, all other fears pale in comparison. It's where faith is able to then drive out our deepest fears. 
And so what are you afraid of? Know that like the disciples, you can bring those fears to Jesus. Because it's one thing to know that God is bigger than all these things, but it's another thing to experience what it's like when he speaks into our fears and says, be still, be quiet. And like the disciples in those moments when we feel like our, our fears are so overwhelming that they're just going to undo us, we can bring them to him. We can name our fears before him and let him speak calm and peace into those places to reassure us with his presence. Because it's in those moments that we're reminded that the one who fashioned the heavens is also in the boat with us. The one who is larger than the maelstrom is also the one who, with a word, quiets the storm. And there's this invitation to come to him. And in those moments when we realize that, that he's bigger than all of that, and yet that he loves us, it allows us to truly trust him. It allows us to then heed his instructions and really learn to walk in his ways. Because we know that what he says is ultimately for our good. That's really the promise that he gives us. It's one of the things that I absolutely love about walking with God and, and why we can study these books of wisdom, because rather than, than hiding or running, we can fully live into the purposes that God has called us to. That's his invitation. So what are you afraid of? God promises you eternity. And if you can trust him with your eternity, what that also means is that you can trust him with your today knowing that he walks with you, that he, that he gives us these instructions, these words of wisdom to guide us, and he gives us his love to guard us. And when we have that, we can truly live unafraid. And that's wisdom for life. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that in your wisdom and power, you give us instruction but that at the heart of it all is this promise also of your presence. Too often, Lord, we're paralyzed by the things of this world that, that lead us into fear. And what you tell us, though, is that you are bigger than all of that. And we're comforted by that reassurance that though you are the only one that we should fear, you're also the only one that we don't have to because you are the God who loves us, who's in the boat with us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would bring our fears to you that you would quiet them and still the storms of our hearts and remind us that these words of instruction that you give us are for our good. And so, Lord, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but that the journey is one that ultimately leads us back to your love, which casts out all fear. And so help us to live wisely, walking in your ways and trusting in your presence. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.